Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, WAG listeners, it's Allison, reminding you that this show cannot be made without you. If you've been thinking about becoming a Candleland supporter, we're having a pretty great sale right now. You'll get premium ad-free feeds of all Candleland shows, discounts on merch from our store, and exclusive bonus episodes from some of our podcasts. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a Candleland supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special offer for our listeners. For $2 a month, you can become a supporter and do your part to ensure we can continue making this show. And we really like making this show for you. Basically nothing costs $2 anymore. You could like get a bag of candy, a locker at a public swimming pool. I've been honestly trying to think of something that cheap and I'm not getting far. So sign up for just $2 a month for the next six months. Just go to canadaland.com slash join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. Are Doug Ford and Christopher Freeland still best friends? Who will carry on the Ford political dynasty after Doug? And what's the deal with Randy Ford's cowboy hat? Honestly, what is that? Today, we're answering questions from you, our listeners, as well as just, you know, random interlopers who happen to see our call it on Twitter. But we appreciate you all. Allison Smith, publisher of Queen's Park Today. And I'm surprised no one asked us to sing our theme song to them as one of their listener questions. Because little do they know, Jonathan and I actually sing it to each other every single time we record. I'm Jonathan Goldsby, news editor at Candleland, and in the moments before recording this, I was singing along with Allison to our theme song because that's how we get pumped. And this is Wag the Doug, a monthly podcast about Doug Ford. From Susan Hammond. Is Ducky still besties with Christia? Christia Freeland, that is. If not, how bad was the breakup? Rate with Phil Collins songs for the olds, Taylor Swift songs for the youngs. Christia Freeland is, of course, Canada's deputy prime minister and finance minister. But early in the pandemic, she was the foreign affairs minister. And her and Doug Ford bonded during the first wave of the COVID crisis in particular over things like making sure Donald Trump didn't block N95 shipments into Canada, and also over other trade disputes that arose during Trump's final year in office. In spring 2020, Ford called Christopher Freeland his therapist, and he said they spoke on the phone every night. Well, there's no no secret. I think the world of uh, Christia, um, he's a, a good friend, and I can't wait to start working with her. Uh, The two of them were actually together to announce funding for a new Tamil community centre in Scarborough just last week. And Ford 
kind of answers the question right here. It's great to see you, uh, Christia. I consider Christia a, a really good friend. Spent a lot of time working throughout this pandemic, and I'm just so grateful for our friendship. It's interesting to see Ford still talking about Christopher Freeland in the same way right now, because, you know, anyone who's paying attention to the federal political scene has noticed that Justin Trudeau and his ministers are kind of trotting all around Canada right now, handing out money in what is viewed by most people as a pre-election campaign spending spree. So the fact that Ford is, you know, jumped in on that particular announcement, which is, you know, largely self-promotion for the Liberal Party of Canada before people head to the polls, um, you know, is a choice. For example, Trudeau went to Alberta uh, a couple weeks ago and made a funding announcement. And Alberta Premier Jason Kenney very specifically met with Trudeau, but then didn't go to the funding announcement. If you recall, the last election campaign, Prime Minister Trudeau spent most of it or a lot of it calling out Ford at basically every turn as sort of a conservative boogeyman. And they couldn't even bait uh, Andrew Scheer into saying his name, which was very funny and very entertaining. Trudeau and maybe the other leaders kept trying to get Sheer to just like respond to questions about Doug Ford, to just just say his name and in a way that they could use in clips. And Sheer just wouldn't take the bait and always found sort of a different way to answer the question. It was very, very funny. Yeah. So I think we can assume that that Ford did not like that very much. Um, and last summer, he actually said he wouldn't campaign for the Conservative Party's new leader, Aaron O'Toole. If I had to put myself in Ford's shoes, I would imagine that going to this event with Krista Freeland and, you know, once again, calling her his really good friend publicly makes it just a little bit less likely that Trudeau and the liberals are going to drag Ford through the muck uh, whenever they happen to call the next election. So my Phil Collins song pick to illustrate this friendship would be You'll Be In My Heart uh, from the Disney's Tarzan soundtrack. See, I've never quite liked that song. I don't think it's, I've never seen the movie. It's not the best song in the movie, but also that that beat out Amy Mann's Save Me from Magnolia at the Oscars. So I've always kind of had a little bit of a resentment toward that song. But in any case, I, I'm deeply skeptical that this friendship, if you want to call it that, between Doug Ford and Christian Freeland will last beyond whatever moment of political convenience their interests happen to converge in. Like, I don't know. I mean, a frenemy ship? Is that, is that, is that the noun? Um, just as I doubt they've maintained any consistent relationship over the last year and a half, um, even if they made a decision to tolerate each other. I agree with you because I don't think politicians ever hit you over the head with something super hard the way that the two of them did uh, about how good friends they were, unless they're doing it strategically. It's clearly a performance. I think the moment either one sees that it is no longer in their interest to pretend to be on good terms, that's it. I mean, obviously, like that that's kind of how politics work. Each is the other's most convenient target to blame any number of things on, right? But in any case, uh, Taylor Swift, to answer the question, does happen to have a song that is reflective of just such a dynamic. It was so nice being friends again. There I was giving you a second chance, but you stabbed me in the back while shaking my head. And therein lies the issue. 
miss you Friends don't try to trick you Get you on the phone and mind twist you And so I took an axe to amend it Next question. This one comes from Fraser Robinson. He wants to know, what's up with Randy Ford's hat? What is that thing? Why does he even wear it? Has he always worn it? Any insight would be appreciated. This is a very good question, and I'm delighted to say that, thanks to the book by Toronto City Councillor John Fillion, the only average guy inside the uncommon world of Rob Ford, we have an answer. So first of all, for those not uh, familiar with the whole Ford Civic universe, or for those maybe who need a refresher, Randy Ford is Rob's older and still living brother, uh, and he is frankly best known for his hat. It's not an especially unusual hat, uh, except for the fact that it's basically his trademark sort of a cowboy hat, not exactly a cowboy hat. It's black. He looks like a gunslinger. I guess that is it makes it a cowboy hat. Just picture Doug Ford a little older, with a hat. That's Randy. The answer is, like a lot of things with all the Fords, he got it from his dad in the way that each of the sons and each of the kids wants to live in the shadow of their father. Rob and Doug went into politics. Randy went into hats. He expresses his love and affection and remembers his friends for his father uh, hat-wise. That's the answer. And the question is, has he always worn it? What's that thing? Uh, he doesn't wear it, tend to wear it on formal occasions. There are times he doesn't have it on, but he does uh, seemingly always keep it nearby. He wore it to Doug Ford's swearing-in ceremony, and I think the speech from the throne. Really? Maybe he took it off in the chamber, though. He might have to do that. Yeah, I mean, it'd be interesting if he was given special dispensation. Uh, this Toronto Star's Dave Ryder noted back in December 2018, at you know, the formal first meeting of the new term of city council, that uh, while Randy Ford was bareheaded during the meeting, the star photographer Richard Lawton saw him pause before entering the reception afterward, uh, whip his hat somewhere out of his clothing, and put it on. So he seems to always keep it nearby, at the very least. Is it leather? I'm not sure. So the next question comes from at Barry Voter on Twitter. And this is another Ford family-esque one, although it goes uh, a, a little bit of a different direction than the last few. Barry Voter wants to know, was Doug Ford's father-in-law the director of the Globe and Mail or a dairy driver? Jonathan? <sighs> this is such a good question, and it kills me that I have not been able to come up with a satisfying answer in time for this recording. So this person tweeted two screenshots of what uh, basically what was a City of Toronto directory, presumably in different years. I believe one is 1969, indicating the various occupations of different people in the City of Toronto with the last name Middlebrook. William John Middlebrook was the name of Doug Ford's father-in-law, his wife's Carla's father, who passed away in 1994. Uh, one of these directory pages it indicates DIR, Globe and Mail. That means he was a director at the Globe and Mail. doesn't necessarily mean he was a director of the Globe and Mail. Uh, and in the other, it indicates that this person was a driver for Valley View Dairy. These two people are the same person because it's the same address in both of these. But what we don't know for sure, what I haven't been able to figure out, and I've been very frustrated, is whether this, in fact, is or was Doug Ford's father-in-law. I, I would say the probability of it being him is fairly high in, in as much as I've done a lot of different types of searches, and I'm fairly confident there was no one else with 
that name in Toronto at that time, but it's not the same as independent confirmation. And frustratingly, I haven't been able to figure out what exactly he might have done at the Globe. So uh, this is still an open-ended question, and uh, I'm going to have to make some further inquiries and hopefully have an answer on a future episode. I would say the answer is likely, but not to a reportable standard. But the question is, was he the director of the Globe and Mail or a dairy driver? Do you think it's likely he was both things? Well, Sort of. I think it's like, I, I okay, this, whoever this person identified in this directory is definitely seems to have been at different times a driver for Valley View Dairy and a director at the Globe and Mail. I'm pretty sure they're the same person because it's the same address. And although there are different people in that family who have different combinations of the same names, fairly confident those two are the same person. So that's just more of me saying, I don't know yet, but I really want to, I really would like to know. I love the stakes of this. Like, what was Doug Ford's wife's father's job in the 60s? (laughs) Jonathan needs to know. (laughs) Uh, Now a question from Action Halim Jackson. The question is, I vaguely recall a news article during Rob Ford's mayoralty about the kind of sketch U.S. offices of, of Deco that didn't appear to be in person what they were on paper. Uh, I, Jonathan, should add, allegedly sketch. In particular, Mr. Jackson recalls something about a Deco office in New Jersey that was just a shuttered back room with no one in it. Since Deco allowed Doug to flaunt his credentials as a businessman and is the financial well of the family, what do we know about it and how it's doing? That's a very good question. What do, what do you think, Allison? Why have more people not uh, dug into this? It's funny. I think the last kind of deco news that we got um, was when Doug Ford won the PC leadership. Um, He registered with the Ethics Commissioner in Ontario that he owns this, you know, big uh, labels and tags company. Uh, And then once he became premier, I believe he he put it into a management trust and, and signed the ownership over to his wife, Carla. And uh, the Globe and Mail reported in fall 2019 that Doug Ford was still listed as the president on the family's business on U.S. documents. And the Globe reported this. And I believe the the premier's office uh, or Ford sort of threatened to sue them for for saying that because they claimed it was just a mistake and then showed them the the new filing. So I guess what that boils down to and why people don't dig into it is it's a touchy subject, let's say, uh, that seems to prompt uh, legal recourse or the threat thereof. And I think it's also just hard to report on the financial dealings of a family-held private company, right? They don't have to in Canada report their earnings or really much of anything. So it's a little a little hard to tell. It's super tricky. I mean, the only stuff you tend to find out about the internal workings of privately held companies in Canada is, you know, when stuff comes out in lawsuits. But, you know, this being the Fords, we do have some of that. Um, better insight into the company came in 2018 during the provincial election when Renata Ford, the widow of Rob, uh, sued Doug and Randy and the company and all this stuff, uh, alleging all kinds of things regarding how they supposedly improperly handled money that was basically owed to Rob Ford's kids. 
Uh, those allegations are unproven in court and probably will never be proven in court because the lawsuit uh, kind of didn't end up really going anywhere. And then Renata herself was sued by her own lawyers for non-payment and they won in default and shows them quite a lot of money now. But from what we do know from these unproven allegations in the lawsuit, the company committed a series of ill-advised acquisitions of businesses and assets. Anyway, if you, if you want, you can easily just Google Renata Ford, Doug Ford lawsuit. It's, once again, unproven allegations, but it's still the best look we've gotten into how the business apparently works and or doesn't work and the ways that Doug has and, and or has not run it. Next question comes from Jack W888 on Twitter. He wants to know, what happened to Sandro Bedbugs Lisi? Once again, for those who don't recall all of the various supporting characters in the Ford Civic universe, Alexandro Sandrolisi was Rob Ford's driver and close friend, a mysterious figure with a not insignificant criminal record, uh, who was charged by, uh, with extortion for his efforts to retrieve the crack video. I interviewed him back in 2016, a few hours after that charge was dropped and the video became public. And I should say just up front, like the, while, he, while there were uh, quite a few subjects about which he was evasive, he did very directly and emphatically deny uh, the Toronto Star supporting that he carried around a vial of bed bugs with which to threaten his enemies. So what's he up to? In 2018, he ran for the Etobicoke North seat on the Toronto District School Board, uh, saying that the time he spent with Rob Ford had had a big influence on him, showing him that politics was about helping people, and he thought he could make a difference. School safety was a big issue for him, and he campaigned on bringing police officers back to schools. Uh, in the end, he got 1,713 votes, finishing fourth in a field of 10. But that was nearly three years ago, and I haven't heard from or about him since. I sent him a message last night to ask, like, anything you'd like people to know, but I, I haven't yet heard back. I one time went to, on an apartment viewing in Toronto and met the landlord, and he specifically would only let us pay cash for the apartment. So that was one red flag. But the second one was that he started telling us how he was uh, friends with Sandro Lisi and how he himself had gotten arrested or picked up by the cops during the Rob Ford saga. Interesting. Needless to say, I did not sign a lease on that particular apartment. But it kind of felt a little bit like meeting a celebrity. Not a celebrity, but it was like, damn, like... Degrees of separation are smaller than I thought. The other part of the question from the same person is, do you think that Ford, Doug Ford, is considering a federal run? I don't know. I would say never say never with Doug Ford, but he has definitely not lived up to his promise to learn French since becoming premier. And I'd say the pandemic has really kind of kowtowed any belief that his populism is actually the face of an effective conservative government that's working behind the scenes, which was kind of the impression that longtime Tories hoped to kind of give of the PCs when they were earlier in their term. You know, like Ford, he's a bit silly, but, you know, he gets the votes and there's really serious people doing good work behind the scenes. That's a lot harder to sell at this point. Um, I'd also note that a ton of PC staffers have left Queen's Park over the past year or even a bit longer. So no one really seems to be behind that team, um, which is something you really need if you're going to try to organize maybe not just a, a federal run in Etobicoke North, maybe not that, but you know any sort of 
prime ministership hopefulness or federal leader uh, hopes require a lot of people in your corner. And I'm, I'm not sure Doug Ford has that when it comes to, uh, let's say, professional Tories anymore. Yeah, I mean, goodness knows that helps. But I mean, he he has charisma, which frankly goes a long way in Canadian politics. It goes a long way in politics generally. But honestly, like, I mean, I don't just not to say he could or would necessarily win a conservative leadership race. But I mean, he is a much more lively figure than most of the people who run in these things, or at least most of the people that ran last time. He's It's really not that hard to imagine him sticking out enough to win, potentially, or at least have a plausible shot in a field against people like Aaron O'Toole and Andrew Scheer. Like, if you think of the people they do end up with, someone like Doug Ford, enough people gravitate to that, enough people respond to that, enough people remember that. I don't know, what does he want to run federally? I'm sure he'd, I'm sure he'd love to be prime minister. Does he care enough to do the work to be prime minister? I don't know, it would probably be like this. If I got to think of opportunity, if, if an opportunity comes up, it looks like he could win. Yeah, what's he got to lose? Yeah, that's a good point. If he could kind of swoop in, you know, right into a leadership race without having to do a lot of pre-planning and legwork um, that, you know, in a leadership that all, race also happened to be really close to an election, uh, like what happened here in Ontario. Yeah, maybe he'd be like, oh, what the hell? Let's go for the people. <laughs> One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. So, this next question is from our producer, Demi, uh, who's asking on behalf of a friend's mom who is a PSW, personal support worker. Uh, the question is, uh, do you think Doug Ford will make do in his promise to keep the $3 an hour wage increase brought on for PSWs during the pandemic? He announced it earlier this month, but gave no timeline. And do you think this is a strategy to get PSWs on side in the upcoming election? <sighs> I mean, I wish I had a more hopeful answer to this question, but I, I really don't know what's going to happen with this. The PCs, we should say, are currently paying personal support workers and home care workers and other community care workers all across the province an extra $3 per hour. Um, it's like a pandemic pay bump, but it's slated to expire on August 23rd, which is pretty soon. Ford has said that he wants to make it permanent during news conferences a few times. But when reporters have asked the premier's office for details on that, they won't provide any or give any commitment in writing. I think the language in the latest government news release about the the last extension, I think that was at the beginning of July, they announced they're keeping it going till August. Uh, it said the temporary wage increase will help, quote, stabilize, attract and retain the workforce needed to provide a high level of care during the COVID-19 pandemic. So that gives them a lot of outs um, should they they need it. The party's made it pretty clear they don't really care about PSWs or about long-term care residents. You know, advocates in the sector are asking for the jobs to be made more sustainable so that PSWs don't get burnt out. And also for the number of daily hours uh, for of care the residents get to go way up. The party says they'll bring daily care up to four hours day a day, but are going to take four years to achieve it. 
a timeline like that, you know, doesn't really instill a lot of confidence. Ford did shuffle his cabinet recently, so there's a new long-term care minister in place, Rod Phillips. So I think there it is possible that he might come to this file from a bit of a different angle of, of than his predecessor, Marilee Fullerton. Um, is that angle like looking at it from the southeast of the Caribbean islands or looking northward? <laughs> Possibly. But I mean, also, yeah, that's the thing. Like Phillips is a very corporate guy. He's a rich guy. He was the finance minister. He was the chair of Post Media. He was the CEO of the OLG. He's going to be looking at this from a money angle. How do you get just like a series of rich guy jobs? How do you become a professional rich guy? <laughs> like like him or Bill Morneau? Like, is it just a matter like Bill Morneau, like his dad was a professional rich guy. Was Rob Phillips' dad a professional rich guy? Did Philip just go to business school? Like, what is it? Like, how do you how do you get a, a string of like, these are rich guy jobs? Yeah. And like another fun aspect is like, you're a rich enough guy that you can just buy a house in Ajax so that you can pretend that you live there so that you can run in a safer riding when really you live in Toronto. But on a ray of hope side um, on the on the PSW file is that Phillips has uh, the report from the Long-Term Care Commission, which was struck to look into the horrible pandemic response that killed at least 4,000 residents. Those are the people that died from COVID. I would say for sure thousands more died from neglect um, of various degrees during the pandemic. The report makes a ton of recommendations that he, as the new minister, could heed. Uh, One kind of interesting one is to overhaul the for-profit long-term system so that the big firms like Extendicare and Chartwell um, will only be in the business of hoteling residents. That's the word they use. Mm. So basically, they become landlords. They provide the like literal beds and maybe the uh, janitorial services or something like that. And they own the real estate, which is a, you know really what those companies are making money off of. Mm. Uh, and other care specific companies would come in to actually be in charge of resident care. But, I mean, even if, you know, Phillips does manage that, there's still a big, you know, how do those new care companies that would be employing PSWs, how do we ensure that they're being fair to those workers um, and and not further, further, you know, Uberizing the profession? It's going to be a whole other battle. And I, I don't know if the PCs are up to improving really any of it. Fuck, that's like, ugh, and it's never, never good when anything is Uberized. What is the Uberizing? Yeah, so there are apps. There's one in particular that I dug into called BookJane, which uh, long-term care homes can use to uh, book PSWs to cover shifts in them. And in a lot of cases, the app takes 25% of their wages, although some homes just use the app as kind of a HR type thing. So their people are on the app, but they're paid from the home. So then it's not so bad. But either way, um, it's not giving the the PSWs um, as many employment rights, I'd say, as, as they should. And I think it's notable a few of the for-profit long-term care companies, big ones like Rivera, gave the firm startup capital. That's something its CEO told me a few months ago. And there's apparently 20,000 PSWs using it. I don't know how closely the PCs are paying attention to Book Jane. Maybe they're not at all. But in the spring budget, they said they plan to address staffing shortages in the long-term care sector by leveraging, quote, innovative approaches to work and technology. Yeah, which, I mean, totally could be a reference to that. Or it could just be, you know, one of those 
great, you know, all-purpose sentences that can be used to provide a, you know, uh, an ostensible solution to anything. Uh, ultimately, I expect they'll come up with a solution that isn't actually a solution, but which is just complicated enough that they can't as easily be accused of cutting PSW pay. Uh, now a question from Tim Snodden. Is Michael Ford capable of keeping the Ford dynasty alive after Doug, or do you see candidates that are more prominent? So Michael Ford is the 27-year-old nephew of Doug and Rob Ford. He was elected to Toronto City Council in 2016, uh, meaning he must have been about 21 years old, 22 years old then, which is... Yeah, you say he's 27 now, and I can't believe how much time has passed. Like, oh, man, yeah. Yeah, so very young uh, entry into the municipal political sphere, which is interesting. Yeah, he's basically the same age now that I was when I started writing about him. He's the son of Kathy Ford and Ennio Sturpe, who was the latter of whom he was sentenced to 18 years in prison in 2012 for stabbing a woman and blinding her, according to the Crown. Uh, that was because Angela was the woman's name. She was a drug addict and she was smoking in his house. Uh, and he very violently assaulted her. Um, he also shot and killed one of Kathy's boyfriends in, in 1998 uh, and, and maybe shot Kathy as well. Um so a rough upbringing for Michael Ford. I believe he's spoken about how he looked up to either Rob or Doug or both as father figures throughout his life. Other than that, I know he acts generally how you'd expect a conservative-leaning city councillor from Etobicoke to act. He opposed a council motion last year um, from Gord Perks, another councillor who wanted the city to legally challenge the Ontario PC's Bill 184, which was the legislation that made it easier for landlords to evict tenants amid the pandemic. So he tends to side with Doug Ford in council when that is a potential thing that he could be doing. But, uh, you know, from interviews I've seen, he seems to lack Robin Doug's gravitas, so to speak. Is Michael Ford capable of keeping the Ford dynasty alive? I guess it depends on what you mean by the Ford dynasty. I mean, like, will Michael Ford continue to hold political office after Doug Ford is no longer premier? Probably. I mean, councillors tend to stick around once they're in. And yeah, he could easily swap into Doug's provincial seat if he wanted. Does he have greater ambitions than being a city councillor? I mean, given that he started in politics so young, the answer by default is yes. People who start that young generally want to do more. But would he be another Rob Ford or another Doug Ford? I mean, for better or worse, his reputation is not that of an asshole. So does it still count as carrying on the Ford brand if that doesn't involve many of the more repugnant personal qualities typically associated with it? I don't know. It's kind of a Zen cone of like, you know, a tree falling in the forest or uh, is family guy still family guy now that it's ditched much of the misogyny and racism and homophobia? Yeah, I don't know. I think we can also look at the future of the Ford dynasty in another way, and it starts with a K. Ford has four daughters, Kara, Kayla, Kyla, and Krista. They're all in their late 20s and early 30s, and, you know, two of them, at least, Kyla and Krista, have displayed interest in becoming public figures in various ways. Krista was a former adult cheerleader and captain of a lingerie football team, 
She is now Krista Haynes, having married Toronto Police Sergeant David Haynes. And she has about 4,500 Instagram followers. He has a bunch, too. He kind of Instagrams a lot of Blue Lives Matter content. Um, and I'm not just saying that. Like, he literally Instagrams the Blue Lives Matter flag. And then there's Kyla Ford, Doug's youngest daughter. She is a bodybuilder. And I'd say the most public of the Ford daughters. She has, like, over 100,000 followers on Instagram and two businesses one where she sews custom bodybuilding bikinis, which are very sparkly, and another where she makes Kai Kai's cookies. And that's now cookies spelled with a C, which is how you would think it would be spelled, except uh, her previous branding spelled cookies with a K, K K-O-O-K-I-E-S. And that K, alongside the two prominent capital Ks of Kai Kai, put an unfortunate, if unintentional, emphasis on the letters KKK. She changed that last month after being, you know, roundly mocked on Twitter, which is where one goes to be roundly mocked. And uh, somehow someone even managed to squeeze an unusually groveling apology out of the Toronto Sun uh, for a headline they ran, Ford's KKK Cookies Leave a Bad Taste. But thanks to that whole thing uh, and the, the cookies, whether spelled with a C or a K, I do now have an easier time distinguishing Kyla from her sister Kayla, Uh, who's merely infamous for using Instagram to push what could charitably be described as vaccine skepticism. Although, uh, which one was the one who sold the CBD oil before that became legal? That was Kyla, bodybuilder Kyla. Okay. So, but still, congratulations to Kara for being the only four daughter to have not yet earned even a sliver of infamy. And uh, that's a campaign slogan right for her right there. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if any of these women have political office ambitions, but to me, the next logical step for the Ford dynasty is having one of these, you know, their beautiful blonde daughters step onto the scene. I mean, they already have a bit of like a Kardashian family vibe, (laughs) again, with names starting with K all over the place, Um, you know, which has proven popular with the public and, and Just like you said with Michael Ford, it would be like him. It'd be easy for any one of them to kind of slip into uh, Doug Ford's Etobicoke riding and win a seat there or even another riding in Etobicoke. And now it's time for... Foreseeable Disaster of the Month. My foreseeable disaster of the month is the fact that Doug Ford is refusing to make it mandatory for healthcare workers and PSWs to get vaccinated. Um, I would say the, you know, the results of that decision are not even foreseeable. They're already happening because long-term care homes are still going into COVID outbreak. Two residents died after contracting the virus at a Burlington home last week. And on Sunday, a home in Hamilton said 11 residents and four staff members have all tested positive for COVID. In that home, 94% of residents were fully vaccinated, but only 68.75% of staff were, and only 57% of essential caregivers were fully vaccinated. And now under the new PC rules, there's a lot less strict rules about who an essential caregiver is and who can kind of go visit these buildings. Doug Ford says it's against healthcare workers and PSWs constitutional rights to force them to be vaccinated. But the counter argument that lots of people are arguing is that lots of jobs have lots of requirements. So no, you can't force, you know, a, a human individual to take a vaccine, but you can tell them they're not allowed to go through the door of a long-term care facility unless they do. 
And it's just, you know, coming off the absolutely immense disaster that happened in long-term care and the fact that other healthcare workers who aren't getting vaccinated are going to be working really closely with vulnerable patients in other settings like hospitals, it just seems bad that they're not being made to get a shot. And, you know, it kind of everyone's freedoms when it comes to reopening um, kind of hinge on this, right? Because, you know, Doug Ford very well could lock us down again in the fall. And if that's because, you know, healthcare workers and, uh, you know, anybody isn't getting vaccinated, I am not going to be pleased. But that's been the whole, that's been the whole pandemic, basically, is him refusing to make the tough decisions up front, wait until things get, get really fucking dire, and then having to close down everything. Anyway, my foreseeable disaster, it's a similar thing. Uh, vaccine passports. I mean, in terms of international travel, the federal government is at least theoretically sorting that one out. So we're just talking about vaccine passports within a province, whether it's something like in Manitoba, where it's just like a QR code you display on your phone, some really easy way to indicate that a person is vaccinated, that a person is fully vaccinated, so that, you know, should they choose a particular venue or event or something can require that everyone just shows a QR code on the way in, what have you. Um, in order to get in, it's just a really easy way to uh, to check. Should an event or organizer of something want to do that? Uh, Doug Ford has said basically no. He's against them in principle, and there are legitimate civil liberties issues at play. But I mean, there are also consequences of the decision to not take this path, and it does seem like it's only a matter of time. I mean, it's certainly only a matter of time before there are outbreaks or transmission in places that, uh, you know, may have a lot of vaccinated people and a few unvaccinated people. And or it's also probably not very long until people are just forging those, you know, 21 kilobyte PDFs that now count as your as our proof of vaccination in Ontario. Well, as Queen's Park Today reported last week, it turns out the PCs actually built a vaccine passport system that I believe has a QR code and they showed it to a bunch of business owners during um, kind of like a consultation phase of it back in January. We talked to one of them who was there and kind of described it to us. So, I mean, even like further irony, they have this thing ready, or at least, you know, they had a prototype of it ready, and they're just now refusing to use it. It's pretty clear what the consequences of this decision are. And uh, I guess we're going to have to live with them or, as the case may be, die with them since the, those, those are the stakes. <laughs> uh, happy July. Let's get out from under this blanket. And that was Wag the Doug, a show about Randy Ford's cowboy hat. I'm Jonathan Goldsby, and you can find me on Twitter at Goldsby and or buried in the archives of the Globe and Mail, still trying to find an answer to what the heck Doug Ford's father-in-law may have done there. I'm Allison Smith, and you can find me on Twitter at at Queen's Park Today. Our producer is Demlila Oname. Our executive producer is Kevin Sexton. And our theme music is a remix by Nathan Burley. Our podcast is listener supported. If you like what we do, support us. Go to wagthedug.com or click on the link in the show notes.
Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.